0: Hello and welcome to Ask Matt. I'm Eugene Cordero, professor of meteorology and climate science at San Jose State University and founder and director of Green Ninja. I'm here with Matt Delacio, geology professor from Cal State Northridge, national NGSS expert and one of the chief authors of the 2016 California Science Framework. The format of this podcast is that I ask Matt questions about science, science education, and NGSS And we'll all learn something more about science education and how to make this transition to NGSS easier and more rewarding for everyone. In today's episode, we are joined by special guest, Paul Anderson, an educational consultant, a Montana-based science teacher for 20 years, and most famously, the creator of Bozeman Science, a YouTube channel with hundreds of science YouTube videos that I'm sure many of our listeners today have surely seen. Paul is joining us today to talk about NGSS, the work that Paul's been doing for many years, and some of his thoughts about what makes NGSS both special and challenging for teachers. We'll also talk about climate and the environment and maybe even burritos. So let's get started. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Eugene. Thanks, Matt. It's nice to meet both of you virtually.
2: Yeah, this is great. Yeah, We're excited for it's for Ask Paul today, not Ask Matt. There we go. (laughs) Perfect. So,
0: Paul, in going to your excellent web resource, Wonder of Science, and we'll put a link to that in our notes, I notice the extensive amount of new content you have there every time I go back. Who is the intended audience for this, and and what's been their reaction to your content?
1: Uh, yeah, so just to give you just a background on myself a little bit, I was a teacher for twenty years, and then seven years ago I started doing consulting. Sounds like similar work to Matt, what you're doing, but working with schools and teachers as they implement NGSS and I started building individual websites for each school that I would work with. And it ended up being like a silly kind of a system. So eventually I just decided uh, twofold, like every resource that I make, I want it to go on the website and it's all creative Commons. like, attribution, free to use. So just so it's not sitting on my computer, but other teachers can share it. So there's that. And then the other thing is that I just live in NGSS world and NSTA has a nice website, but I wanted to just build a website that I didn't have to go anywhere else to find everything. So I just tried to build a website based on the standards so I could organize all my work around that. And so like, yeah, it's taken a while to get there. But to answer your question, like the intended audience is... I really am a big, like a huge proponent of the NGSS and the shifts that it asks for. I think it's really easy to say, oh, we're doing NGSS and just align what you're doing to NGSS. But I really am a a big proponent of backward design and figuring out what are the standards, what are the assessments and how do we build backwards to that? So um, there's kind of two audiences. There's the schools that I work with, which is really digging into the standards and like building units that are robust and really aligned well to the standards, but also tangentially, we're making a bunch of resources like graphic organizers, assessments, things like that. And so those are just used by teachers, I guess, all around the world.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, um, anyhow, it's a great resource for folks who haven't checked it out. It is the one-stop shop. You can go to NSTA, but I prefer your site, Paul, as it has got a lot of great resources. In working with schools, and especially with teachers, and, I, and we just ran across this ourselves just this last week, what do you tell teachers who are reluctant to engage with this approach? How do, you, how do you sell NGSS to a new teacher?
1: Totally depends on the grade level. So like middle school, it's not usually a hard sell. They just, they're teaching science. These are better standards than the ones they had before. And so it's usually just like building an understanding of it and letting them go elementary, it's just a time thing. Like they're asked to do so many different things, reading, writing every time it's like a new curriculum. So I guess when I talk to elementary teachers, it's really just about like why you got into teaching. It's that wonder of like kids looking at science and trying to figure it out. So I really try to appeal to the more emotional bit first and then try to do a bunch of the hard work for them. So like in middle school with schools I'll work with, we'll really work together to build some performance assessments and then build towards those. And in elementary, I've just decided I have to write all those for them. Like they don't have times, but like if you can show them, this is what we want. The big goal is to get kids wondering again in science and here's some performance assessments, take these and see how this is different than when we've done it in the past. And then here's some resources to kind of help you. Um, it's just a busy thing. And then high school and I, I speak, <laughs> being a high school teacher for 20 years that sometimes mm-hmm. they're the hardest because mm-hmm. they are so just driven by content and it's, they define themselves as I'm the chemistry teacher or I'm the physics teacher. And, and so lots of times they'll push back on it just cause they haven't read it. And they don't like, they're worried about, I think it comes from a position of fear almost of like in my school, I've been just the expert in this one science, but now getting kids to inquire and like ask their and answer their own questions and dig into phenomena. I think they're a little bit scared of those other skills of like, how do I get kids to inquire? So I don't know. It depends on the level, but also I think Eugene to go back to the beginning is I just worked in this every day for the last seven years. And so I have to realize like the point that I'm at is on a continuum way far ahead from a lot of them. And so I have to remember like, what was it like mm-hmm. for me when I was just getting started and like the documentation in NGSS is is for a reason, it's really complex and lots of times overwhelming. So trying to make it as clear as I can when they're getting started.
2: That's great. So uh, we're we're really all trying to, to support teachers as they're starting to embrace NGSS. So let's get more practical. What are some of the most successful approaches to professional development that you've had?
1: Yeah. So I think, well, first of all, from my own, like as a teacher in Montana for 20 years, I never had professional development around science at my school ever. Like the school never provided that for me. So like I had to go to NSTA or NABT or go to like join those professional organizations to get out there. So like number one, just getting any amount of professional development or learning around science is great. Teachers can get that. That being said, I think I try to shift my time between like, I'm going to clearly under like explain it in a way that will make sense to your teacher brain. But then I'm just going to role play where I'm going to be your teacher and we're going to go through a phenomena and we're going to kind of do explicit like three-dimensional instruction just so they get a sense of what does it look like in the classroom with them as the student. So last night I was doing a We did a high school workshop with teachers in Hawaii. So like high school science teachers. And I just took them through a phenomena that's a local thing to where they are in Hawaii. And by the end, their big reflections were like, oh, that's hard to be a student. It's hard to be a student in remote learning. Like that's another area of complexity. So some empathy. But I think the big thing, their takeaway was like, I have to, as a teacher, be really explicit in the practices and the cross-cutting concepts with my students because over the last 20 years, we've gotten really good at teaching the content and building that vertically so kids have a core understanding of it. And we have to do the same with the other two dimensions. And I think when teachers try to just think that's gonna happen naturally, that's where it can be really frustrating.
0: So Paul, have you found like with these teachers you were working with yesterday and these teachers who are, who are now getting some training on, on NGSS, do you have any mantras or sayings of encouragement that you'd like to pass on to teachers who are trying this with their students for the first time and a little nervous?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest I, this I was working at a school that I must have said it and then somebody mentioned it and it, like so it become my motto. And that is like, don't kill the wonder. So like the worst thing you can do as a science teacher is explain ahead of exploration. So like and it's what we've done forever. Is that, And I did it, too, in my teaching that I would always explain the science you're going to learn and try to make it as clear as I could. And a lot of those Bozeman science videos are that. And then we would do some exploration at the end, maybe a lab where it was mostly cookbook labs where there wasn't much exploration at all. So like telling the teachers, we're going to do those two things. We're still going to do exploration and explanation, but we're going to do the exploration first around like a really phenomena that will get your kids to engage and then we'll still come back and follow up on the explanation piece there's core ideas in science a climate is a good example of one where if you don't understand some of these core ideas you can't engage in inquiry anyway but it's way better when it comes from them uh the students uh before like before i as a teacher kind of come in and say this is what you got to know
0: yeah those are good points In thinking, going, kind of delving in a little bit more on the teachers, if a teacher says, how long does it take other folks like me to really understand and pivot my teaching to NGSS? I've been teaching for 15 years another way.
1: The advice I would give you is like, it takes your, um, your heart can change in a moment, but it will take your head years to catch up. So Mm -hmm. like I try to change their heart first. Like I want them to see, that this will work with their students. Like don't trust a consultant or don't trust this, Dan, don't trust anybody, like trust your own students. And so show them an authentic phenomena that's hopefully local to their life and where they are. And just give them time to come up with some questions, do this individually, let them come up with some wonderings and then come up with some initial models of what they think is going on. And the teachers will be blown away by how much your kids already know. Like there's huge holes in what they don't know. And there'll be amazing things that they do know. Like they'll probably ask better questions than you might. And in elementary, for sure, they're going to wonder better than you are because they don't care about being like appearing smart or whatever. So like that would be my big advice. Like give it a run. Start with an authentic phenomena that you find engaging and then let them ask some questions about it and model it. Put those up on the wall And then let's go into that. And let's, how can we as a start to figure this out? And you're just hearing this from teachers now in remote teaching that like, you got to up your game if you want kids to be engaged. Like you can't just sit there and Zoom talk for an hour. (laughs) They will just like go to sleep and turn off their camera and walk away. So like you have to find an authentic thing that they care about. And so there's all these things that are, COVID horrible that like has made our lives so bad, but I think it's really gonna give a shot in the arm to education that people like myself have been advocating for 10 years. Like, let's just not stand and deliver content. Let's have kids be scientists and do engaging things. So, but again, like to answer your original question, trust your heart, trust yourself, and trust your kids. And then once you realize, oh, this is good, then roll up your sleeves because it's gonna take a while to. To learn the, like you've done probably Eugene, like learning all the terminology and how I might apply this to my students.
0: Sounds like a practice. Yeah. You know?
1: Absolutely. Like something,
0: like something that takes time, obviously. For sure. So I love your uh, don't kill the wonder, and that's a great uh, mantra to have. How would you describe to your neighbor what NGSS is, like what's the real value of these new standards?
1: Right. It always because you talk to parents a lot of time with schools I work with. And so I like the first thing is always, do you remember your biology class? Like, do you remember what mitosis is or meiosis? Or do you are like, I don't remember any of that. Like, I have no memory of that. So like saying, Number one, we're going to focus on core ideas. So like human impacts on the environment is a really core idea that kids should have an understanding of, or like how humans are starting to change genetics with CRISPR and other things like that, and a core understanding of how that works so you can make like smart decisions. So we're going to focus on these core ideas. That's not going to go away, but it's more important that kids can start to make claims that are based on evidence. Kids are able to look at complex data sets and make sense of it. Like it doesn't matter what job you go into, if you can do a spreadsheet, you're going to be better in the job that you do. So like giving them more of these, you describe it as practices. So these, these practices of science, so they understand how science works and also so they can use those going forward to become like active, like civic minded uh, members of society.
2: Cool. So, Paul, one of my early introductions to GSS was your like fifty part video series on on the topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm curious. I don't. How, wh- wh- when was that? Do you remember
1: what year? Yeah, gosh, that must have been
2: maybe seven years
1: ago or something like that. It, it was even before the final NGSS came out. Okay, so so it was like,
2: the, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. 2013-ish or something like that. Well, yeah. so I feel like I've changed a lot. How has your understanding of teaching, like particularly like the cross-cutting concepts, now that we've worked with them a lot, how has that changed over the years?
1: Yeah, I think like number one, I made. This is how I learn is just making videos. it's how I learn something. So I remember going to NSTA and I just told the Jerry Wheeler is a friend and was the president of NSTA. And I said, I'm gonna make these things on NGSS because I just want to understand how it works. So it's like, I'm just gonna break it up and do it. And I had a pretty popular YouTube channel at that point. So when I started putting these teacher videos out, the kids on YouTube were all like, these are boring, these are horrible, like (laughs) dislike or whatever. And and my wife is like, just keep making it. Like teachers are gonna need this. And and so for me, like it was a huge learning. Process to going through it. I never look at a video once I've made it. So I'm I almost Matt, don't want to look back and see how <laughs> how horrible they are because I was just trying to go through the framework and base it on that. That being said, I think the cross-cutting concepts are maybe the most important dimension and the most overlooked dimension in the NGSS. Like I know when I was teaching originally, I was doing maybe. Uh, when I was teaching like AP biology right before NGSS, I was probably doing 70% content, 30% practices with NGSS. Like I moved towards like spending a lot of time on the practices. I think the same thing with a lot of teachers, they're spending like 0% time on cross-cutting concepts, a lot of time now on the practices and the core ideas, but I think teachers don't understand. Them. So like the biggest growth for me, Matt has been like, Digging into what they are and how they fit into not only science education, but education writ large. Um, just my operational definition for the cross-cutting concepts is their ways of thinking about the science that we're doing. So like if I'm going to teach, a, let's say we're going to do something on climate change, it's most important that I define today, we're going to be modeling. So we're going to look at models of maybe energy. But it's most important that you all understand that you have to define the earth as a system. So like this is a system, what are the inputs into the system? What are the outputs of the system? And do a little mini lesson on what a system is before we get to climate change. They have to understand like, what is a system? What is a component? What is an interaction? So like that is my biggest thing is that I've had to learn the cross-cutting concepts as a lens, and then I have to explicitly teach that to teachers so they can teach it. So like, quick example, I was in Dubai in the spring at a school, and we were in the biology classroom, and the kid's understanding of cause and effect was very similar to the understanding of kindergarten students' cause and effect. They couldn't even identify a cause sometimes in a phenomena. Or what is even the effect? And so like no teacher throughout that whole career had ever taught them the simple thing of like, this is an effect, this is a cause, and this is a mechanism connecting those. And that is like core to, I mean, there's no scientist that doesn't have that in their brain and, you know what I mean? It's just, it's in our DNA, but we don't teach it to the kids. And so like, as a result, they don't know how to think about the science that we're doing.
2: Yeah. So have you been developing any particular resources to help people with that understanding of in particular, like the cross-cutting concepts?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing I started doing, everybody's got a passion project during COVID. Everybody's (laughs) got something that you're working on. I would imagine for me was I was working at the school and it just kind of hit my brain as like, we have to build concrete examples for each of these cross-cutting concepts. I'm calling them mini lessons that comes from, it's an elementary term. It's a way to teach. It's usually in like literacy, reading and writing of teaching a specific skill or a concept. So it's like a five minute, like five minute, 10 minute with a concrete example, I'm going to teach you this concept or this practice. So like cause and effect, the easiest way to teach that is two gears that are interacting with each other. So if I turn this gear, what happens to this gear? And then I identify like what's, What's the cause and effect? So like, that's what I'm working on now. I did a bunch of workshops over the last few months on conceptual thinking and just me playing with these um, mini lessons. And now over the next couple of months, I'm going to put those up on the website, the wonder of science. And so there'll be just like I said, five minute lessons on cause and effect and cause and mechanism effect and causation and correlation. So like, I think I'll use Edpuzzle to do it. So it will be just like me talking and then pausing so teachers could kind of answer questions or they could use it with their students. It's the biggest thing, Matt, that's like teachers are saying in the workshops I'm doing right now, like, oh, I could add that tomorrow. Just like a five-minute lesson on system uh, right at the beginning of a remote teaching class or hybrid class, like it's a shared experience with a concrete example, and then they move into the phenomena. I think it's going to be a big thing in teaching science. That's what I hope to kind of give over the next few months.
2: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And what we've we've been, I've been reading up a little bit about PD, a professional training, and the more that a teacher can take something from training and use it the next day, the happier they are, the more benefit they feel. So that sounds like a a really excellent idea. And I did notice on your website, you had one mini lesson up. And uh, are you using uh, Edpuzzle? Is that the, I saw the questions there. Is that Edpuzzle integrated?
1: Yeah, so I worked with uh, another teacher consultant. Um, She's in Kuwait now. I do a lot of work with international schools. And so this summer we went through the hard thing about the NGSS is they do a really good job of vertically showing the practices and how they move from lower elementary to upper to middle to high. But that has not been applied to the cross cutting concept. So the first thing we did this summer was. Let's decide what are those seven mini lessons in cause- causation that go from kindergarten all the way through, so like we've kind of identified those, and those now are on the website with some just terms and then I'm gonna start putting out like videos now i'm my wife and I have been really busy. I do quite a bit of work, um hmm. but we have decided to take January and not do work with any schools in January, so I'm going to have the holidays and then I'm going to take a month. And so like a month without Zoom or workshops or anything. And so Eugene, that's where I think I'm going to be able to crank out a bunch of, of those mini lessons.
2: Oh, that's cool. Ooh, we, can, uh, we have a breaking story here. That we can tell everybody, <laughs> yeah. staying tuned uh, February 1st, we'll all be <laughs> waiting with bated breath, refreshing. There better be
1: something there, yeah, by then. Yeah, for sure. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm putting myself out there. So pressure now. Yeah. Good,
0: good job. Paul, I want to turn our attention a little bit to administrators. So if a principal or a district leader was to pop into a NGSS classroom, what might they expect to find and how would that differ from previous years?
1: So like, and I talk to, to principals all the time and I, cause they just want a quick guide of like, how do I know if, if NGSS is going on? And I don't, I read this in some book at some point, but a really good thing to do is just go up to a kid and ask them like, what are you trying to figure out today? Like don't talk to the teacher, go to a student and say like, what are you trying to figure out today? And if they say, oh my gosh, this rock formation and we're trying to figure out what's going on in this reaction, they're probably doing phenomena based instruction. A lot of the time they'll just say like, uh, stoichiometry, <laughs> like gravity. I don't, what do you mean? Like we're doing science. So like, so that's the first thing is the. There should be like something that we're trying to figure out as a group that day. The second thing I always say is the practices, be it modeling, asking questions, like constructing explanations, whatever, those should be explicit in the classroom. They should be posters on the wall. And that's what you should see the kids doing. They should be doing one of the practices. So like if it's just them listening to the teacher or clicking through some I don't know, whatever, some web quest or something like that. They're probably not actively doing the practices. So that would be another thing that I would tell them to look out for. Um, Yeah, that's the big ones.
0: And Have you done any training or how important do you think it is to train
2: administrators? It's super important
1: as well. Yeah. No, I've done a bunch of workshops where it's just administrators. It's always like, it's delicate because they want to be in a position of understanding everything. So like when I do workshops where it's mixed together, they're reticent to jump in and dig in. But like really just like workshops that are targeted for administrators are great. They just need to do the same thing that I mentioned earlier. Like they have to experience what this is like. So they have to go through a lesson and just take them through a quick. So usually when I go to a school, it's like, a 30 minute lesson just using some simple phenomena and them going through the practices is generally what I would do. It's not foreign to them. They're seeing the same shifts in social studies and math. Like this is just a movement towards inquiry and individualized instruction and kids doing meaningful learning. So it's not something new to them, but it is like what that looks like in a science classroom is going to differ.
2: So one of the things that we sort of find challenging around here is that we have our teacher populations are constantly shifting. And so there's some folks that are uh, have been to every training and some folks that are brand new to NGSS. And how do you deal with that when you approach a school and or how do you help an administrator deal with that when they're trying to plan what to provide for their teachers?
1: yeah so there is it's interesting on the wonder of science like i have like really getting into weeds kind of stuff so on the resources page it goes all the way from like instructional resources way down to the bottom which is like how do we implement this in a school so i have like a generic implementation plan matt so it's like Getting a plan right away for a school is important. So like one is on assessments, one is on instruction, but a really important one is on documentation. How are we documenting all the work that we're doing so that when a teacher comes new to the school, they just fit into what they're doing? So like you hear this all the time of, we shouldn't have a suitcase curriculum where a teacher just comes and this is what they're gonna teach. So like number one, they should plug into a system at the school of this is how we do science. We've been working on this for four years. This is how we view you coming in. When I go back to a school, it's always like a little session at the beginning for teachers who are new to NGSS. So it's like they can ask all those questions that they want to ask, but they're scared because they just got a job and they don't want to feel like they don't know what they're talking <laughs> about. So like that, supporting the teachers who are new to it. The night, I mean, the wonderful thing is just adoption is so wide compared to science like 10 years ago. NGSS has a bunch of inertia right now across the country and across the world, really. And so it's nice that as we start to build our understandings around these three dimensions, we'll be able to, we don't have to keep building that, like here's your 101 NGSS. And by the time we get there, we'll probably have a new set of standards. (laughs) Indeed.
0: So Paul, um, both Matt and I are interested in climate change and I know you are too, having heard some of what you've talked about with other audiences. So in California, we have something called, in addition, and this is what Matt worked on, in addition to NGSS, California's framework includes the environmental principles and concepts. And I'm wondering if you know of other states that embedded some kind of environmental conversations uh, into the standards and what you think about that.
1: I think, no, I'm not specifically like specific states who have done that. I I know lots of times we'll look to the California model when you're just getting started. Cause it's always a good place to start. I also tell schools like this should be some like human impacts on the environment should be a theme at every level. So like it can cut across everything that we do. So like it's a unifying theme. And I think, that's a way to start making like the things we do in one year connect to the things we do in the next year and the year after that. So it's, yeah, definitely an aspirational goal that I think all schools should have. I can't think of like specific state initiatives that are, are are aligned to that. It's also though, like, it's really our defining issue right now, like climate change is It is a, a defining issue of this generation. And so like anything we can do to, to make that more explicit and a part of the f- whatever kind of framework we have or documentation is super important. It's a weirdly American thing. Like <laughs> when I travel to different countries, it's not about like, is it a thing or not? Or should we teach it or not? Mm-hmm. It's literally, let's have a discussion about what's the right way to kind of handle this. Um, so I don't know, like it's a weird lens. Cause I think people in the States don't see the rest of the world and so they don't see how uniquely American that problem is.
0: Yeah. So how do you think teachers can help in that regard in terms of climate change? You know, what what's their role here?
1: Yeah, like number one, read the standards and teach the standards as they stand. Like I think the way climate is handled in the NGS, is great. It seems like developmentally appropriate the way it moves from like upper elementary to middle to high, it gets really complex when it's in the high school. This is not new to me. I was a biology teacher forever and nat- like natural selection evolution has been a huge part of the standards ever since I taught, but there are a bunch of teachers in America that just will just not teach it. Like they don't because of political pressure, because they're worried about their community and what they're going to say. And so like, just teach the standard. Like that's, that's what my advice to teachers is is to start because kids care about it. it is their Like you talk to a lot of high school kids and this is just like, it's their biggest issue is like, what have you done to our planet? How do we take it from where it is now? And how do we get all these crazy adults like on board with that? So like, I think I'm always surprised by, yeah, I'm passionate about it, but how passionate high school kids are too they see it as like their future.
0: At Green Ninja, we have some high school advisors and they were telling me, we have to, they were like upset, we have to learn all this stuff on our own. Like we're not learning this stuff in school and they were really grumpy about that. Yeah. And I I was like, wow, good for you, Yeah. <laughs> being grumpy and for, they're, they're essentially activists, but they were upset.
1: Yeah. No, I overheard, I overheard, I think you, Eugene were, were talking to, maybe it was Dave from the Pocket Lab and it was on, just the importance of teaching it. And because like that moves on with those kids as they go forward. And it reminded me of a student I had, Zach, I had just years ago. And I remember him coming up to me saying, after you graduated on like, you're the first teacher that ever talked about climate change. I'd never even heard about this as an issue until then. And and he moved, he went on to like state legislature and now he's on our County board. Like he's making huge changes in Montana and like, I really feel like just me mentioning that it didn't change his life, but it put a seed that was already there and just started. And it, yeah. And so I think it's we can never underestimate what we do. We don't always see it like the students don't always come back and tell us, but like just teach the standards like you're not an expert in developing the standards and what should be there or not. Like that went down a decade ago. Super smart people figured out what to teach, like do it, learn how to do it and do it.
2: Yeah, that's good Good advice. So, one of my favorite parts about designing NGSS lessons is I bet you probably share this as well is that we need to search for really exciting and engaging phenomena. And we learn so much. I've discovered so much that I had no clue, and especially across different content areas. So, I have a, I put you on the spot here. Uh, can you tell us about a particular climate phenomena that you've discovered that's amazed you?
1: Yeah, I think I, I always try to. In every training that I do, I try to find a local phenomena, just like a local phenomena to where they are. So yesterday we were doing Hawaii. So it was the evolution of these spiders. But then I was doing a training earlier and we were looking at the monarch butterfly and the decline of the monarch butterfly. And like climate is a big part of that. And so giving teachers like real research, I think is super important. And then letting them look through it. So like my new thing, Matt, to do is find a phenomenon I'm interested about and then go to Google Scholar and just find a, find any kind of an open article that I can use and then just strip out all the text, the abstract, hmm. strip it all out and just give them the science that the scientists had. So like in the Monarch Butterfly it was um, looking at climate models and how that's shaping where milkweed will be. And as a result, like how that'll, there's no science that's not going to have climate impacts on it right now. So like finding ones that are local to to where you are and what will interest kids. I think that would be my advice.
0: Cool. It's interesting, Paul, that you mentioned monarch butterflies because although we know what you'll be doing in January, Matt and I are working on a, a new climate change unit. And I think Matt came up with the idea of, of monarchs as one of the kind of anchoring phenomenon of what students would be studying and investigating. So. I think we're on to a good time. Yeah, we'll,
2: we'll swap peer reviewed literature. I've got some good ones that I've that I stripped down and was re-regraphing the data for. So we should we should sh- swap notes.
1: <laughs> no, that should be yeah, no, because teachers don't have time to do that, but like finding ones like that. And just a side note that kinda I I'll keep talking forever, so please cut me off at any point. But we were at a school in London and we were it was a chemistry class. And like what I tend to do with teachers is we get just like get a bunch of phenomena that might hit in this unit and we get a list of it. And then we start starring the ones that hit more of the standards. It's like a Netflix rating system of like, does it hit? Does it hit? Is it local? You get a star. Do we care about it? Is it a star? So we would paired this chemistry down to like three anchoring candidates for phenomena for the unit. Number one was going to be. It was about based around because they were doing periodicity and something about chemistry. And it was going to be about the guy in Britain who was going to blow up parliament and tied to like fireworks and what they do there. That was candidate one. Number two was like the history of the atom. All of that is in London and like the people who figured it out is there. And it'd be like stepping him through that. And then the third one is climate change. And then we just grab kids out of the hallway we just <laughs> grabbed random kids and then we pitched it like it's a movie script. Like we got these three ideas, like which one are you going to like? And we thought they would definitely go for like explosions or something like that. And they're like climate change. We want to learn about climate change wow. and what we can do to, to help us. Under- and it was like for me, I was like, yeah, a lot of what we find to be interesting and relevant is not what they're going to find to be relevant or interesting at all. So like if you're not testing it with the kids, yeah, it just will fall flat.
0: That's a great, great user testing. I mean, they're the audience. Yeah. So, so asking yep. them. Yeah. So Paul, a regular feature in our Ask Matt podcast and the last segment of every episode is a short discussion on another topic of interest, that is burritos. Both Matt and I love burritos and we discuss how our interest in burritos can be connected or not to science education in the environment. In preparing for today's episode with you, I visited Nate Silver's 538 website that tracks political polling, a site many of us obsessed over in November. They track other things besides just elections, including sports and, of course, at one time, burritos. So well, it's uh, not actually a regular feature, they did a pretty extensive analysis of America's best burrito. So I had a look at their map to uh, and discovered, and they have a map of the whole country and some Kind of burrito rankings, and that Montana, according to Nate Silver, is in a burrito desert. <laughs> so there's not any. There's not any burrito places from Montana that entered into their burrito bracket.
1: Uh, so, Paul, is- are
0: burritos are, are they a big thing in um, in Montana, Paul?
1: Uh, I don't. I wouldn't call them a big thing. I would not. I do take offense to us being called the burrito desert. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite restaurants in Bozeman here is La Peria. They make a really great jambalaya burrito. Wow. Um, and it's been it was situated right across from the school, Bozeman High School La Peria, And they had this challenge at the burrito store where if you would go through and do it would, each month, it would change. But if you do these 10 things, you would get burritos for a month. And so, uh, my, it's a, it's a relative, a, a kid, uh, went through there. His name is Clayton and he would do it every month. He would do the challenges so that he could like get his free burritos for the month. And now you go to La Paria and there's the, the clay special. It's named after one of the students who was like so good at the burrito <laughs> challenge. So I don't know, uh, yeah, I could talk for burritos apparently for a while as well. But I do, I I would imagine you have better burritos than we do, writ large.
0: Well, um, I was I actually took exception to that as well. That you know they poke some places. There was apparently a, in the burrito bracket someplace from Idaho, but uh, in my travels through the country, there I found good burritos everywhere. Uh, <laughs> so I I would be shocked to not find them in in Montana. Of course, we have a higher density in some parts of California. But they um, that's you know it's a nice thing about the diversity of our country. So that's funny. Anyhow, I think that's a good place for us to stop. I want to thank Paul Anderson for joining us today, and in the notes section, we'll provide links to his website and YouTube channel. And I also want to thank Matt for being part of Ask Matt, where we explore NGSS science education and the environment. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Paul. And uh, we'll be in touch with everyone soon.
1: Awesome. Thanks. Thanks both of you. It was fun. Thanks so much, Paul. Same. Same.